Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, another weekend of the NFL is in the books. And look at the New England Patriots go. Undefeated, 5-0. and Of course, they blew out Washington. Amazing thing is, as good as Tom Brady is and as good as their offense seems to be without Gronkowski, how about that defense? They're giving up like a touchdown a game. Saw a graphic last night. The 2000 Ravens, who had a dominant defense, didn't do that. The 80, what, 5, 86 Bears, whatever it was, that, that gang, they didn't do that. They gave up like 12 points a game. The Patriots are off the charts right now. The only other undefeated team is San Francisco. They're playing Cleveland tonight. Chiefs looked very, very average and got beat at home by Indianapolis last night. That surprised me. I'm always surprised when the Chiefs lose a primetime game because that place is crazy. I've seen enough Monday night football games, Thursday night games, Sunday night games there. Place is always crazy. They always seem to win. I'm sure they don't always win, but they, they seem to. All right, enough of the pro football. Let's get to the college football. The red and the blue. Bye weeks. How are these guys doing right now? Let's talk with... The former Cougar, Brian Keel. Kyle Gunther's coming up to talk Utes, but let's talk BYU right now. Here's Brian Keel. Brian, good morning. Good morning, my man. How you doing? Good. I don't know if you know this. You're joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. So, it's nice. a bye week, and you know, every coach says the bye week comes at the perfect time, but... When you got to change quarterbacks and go with an inexperienced backup, did the bye week really come at the perfect time? <laughs> yes, sir. There's no getting better than that timing. What can they do to improve a quarterback? Is it just a matter of reps? Do they need the time to go through the film and figure out what he really excelled in uh, in spring ball, his favorite plays, his favorite throws, that kind of stuff? Or does he just all know those off the top of his head anyway? Here, I'll give you five I want. I- I think it's more reps in practice. Um, having an extra week just will get, get Jaron more comfortable. And, um, you know, throughout this, this season, he's probably hasn't taken any practice reps with the, with the regular offense, maybe a few here and there. But usually the starting quarterback gets all the practice reps. And um, I'm not sure if they've had Jaron doing scout team or just, just watch. He's probably just been watching, probably usually have the – the third-string quarterback doing scout team. So he probably hasn't had very many reps in practice. So an extra week, um, especially, I mean, it's helpful in every position, but there's no comparison for quarterback. You just need those reps. You need live bullets. You need to see the reads, see the coverages, go through your progression. Um, So, yeah, this extra week is just going to be invaluable for him. Football 101, football for dummies. If your starting quarterback is out, you need to lean on the run game, but what do you do when your starting running back's out with a knee injury too? <laughs> you got to go to the, the well of that, of that depth you know, that, that we've talked about. Um, and, and, and the quarterback, honestly, um, I'm super high on, on Jaron. Um, I've known, known him since he was a little kid. His dad played with my brother Ed. Um, I've known his dad since I was a kid. And um, – I've known Jaron his whole life, and I watched him play football and and basketball when he was in high school, and just was just floored with with how how legit he was. Just came away every time I watched him play both sports. Um, and he obviously plays baseball too. I, I never went to him in his baseball games in high school, but um, I uh, just was floored with just how good of an athlete he was, how good of a leader, how composed he was under pressure. 
And uh, I think he's just going to come in, and I think he'll do really, really well. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I saw Zach Wilson play in high school as well. His, his high school is, you know, not even five minutes from my house. So I saw him play, and very similar um, perception that I had of the two of them in high school, just well beyond their years for high school quarterback. Does that mean that, you know, Jaron's going to come in and do the things that, that Zach did? I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that. But he has, he has that potential. Um, he, he can run. He can. He can. He's got an arm, and and he's composed. So I'm 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 anxious, and I have high hopes for him. Brian Keel joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 the Zone. So football for dummies 101 to follow up. When you're going to have problems on offense, if you have a backup quarterback and a backup running back, you're leaning on the defense. You are a former defensive guy. Do you watch BYU against the run? 118th in the country, over 200 yards a game. Do you watch BYU against the run and just shudder? Yeah, oh, it's funny you said that word. I was, I was literally just about to say it gives me the shivers. Um, I literally was thinking that because one of the things that, that you pride yourself on as a defender is not getting pushed around. And, um, you know, if somebody tricks you, if somebody, you know, beats you with speed or beats you over the top, you don't like that, but it's a different feeling than when somebody hits you in the mouth, and that's what that's what running the ball is. When somebody just just crams it down your throat, <clears throat> they, they're they're you know metaphorically they're hitting you in the mouth, and very few defensive football players have any level of tolerance for that. And so, as an alum, and, and we prided ourselves on stopping the run. Um, you know, we had, I played on some, some really good defenses. We didn't have a super talented, fast secondary. And so we kept teams in front of us very rarely. You know, the only team that, that got us over the top was, was Tulsa in 07. They had the nation's leading, leading offense. But everybody else, we kept them in front of us. They didn't get us over the top, and they did not run on us. Nobody ran on us. Um, watching, watching our poorest run defense, it's hard. It's tough. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. It just, it's hard to watch. Is it likely to get any better? Is it? Uh, I guess, I guess, for people who haven't watched uh, hours and hours of film, is it just a case of they're getting out athleted and that's not going to change, or there's fundamental mistakes being made, assignments being blown, whatever, and that can change and it can get better. Okay, so there's a handful of factors. Um, our linebackers are all athletic, undersized linebackers, with the exception of, of Wilger. Um, Wilger, Wilgar, I don't know how you pronounce that, number 49. Um, all the other linebackers, they're all undersized, and they're athletic and they make plays, but it's tough to stop the run with undersized linebackers. So that, that has been a factor. Um, the, the, probably the biggest factor is the fact that we usually run a three-down front, and it's just – just schematically, just gap-wise, it's hard to stop the run when you only have three down. And uh, it's just it, it makes it really easy blocking assignment for the offensive linemen. And they can chip and get up to the second level really effectively um, against a three-down a three down front. And so that, that is a factor. Mistackling is a factor. And then the, the last one, so this is the fourth one, is, is – um, our edge, like we we we're we are very poor at at contain at keep keeping the edge, and um, I don't know if that is a fact of 
poor technique or if they don't they don't put a high emphasis on it or our guys just aren't good at it. I don't know why it's happening. All I know is I I see it happen routinely and that's not just this year, that's that's going back, you know, last year and the year before. I've I've been frustrated with that about our edge. So all of those factors weigh in on why we are not good against the run. And so in terms of fixing it, you know, you need to address multiple of those factors. Otherwise, it's not going to change. As far as the three-down linemen, the whole rush three, drop eight, had definitely worked to contain USC and, and led to that upset. If you're going to stay in that because you want to drop a lot because of the way you feel like you have to defend the pass, can you at least walk two linebackers up to the line of scrimmage, even if they're eventually going to drop back into coverage so that it's, it looks like a five-man front or no? Yes, yes, 100%, yes. Um, and I, I don't know why we don't do that more. I mean, you can do both, and um, what you just said is easily done, and it disguises it so, a little bit so the offense doesn't just immediately know what the coverage is. Um, <clears throat> I, I saw some of Utah's game against Washington State, and they did. They mixed in some drop eight, three-man rush, and, um, and they were effective at it. Partly what they did with their, their three down is they had actual defensive ends on the edges, and we, we have more of defensive tackle types that we're using on our edges and our three-man, and so they're just not as effective as pass rushers. Um, so Utah had actual defensive ends, and then they actually they, they pulled them out wider too. So, so uh, they, I mean, this, and this wasn't, this wasn't against the run. This was just for a pass against the pass and getting a pass rush. Um, because they knew Washington State wasn't going to try to run on them. But, um, but that helps get a pass rush. And so those are things that we could do to help with our pass rush. In terms of stopping the run, then, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I think it would help if we, if we walked our guys up. And, and, and you get them involved in the front in the event that it's a run. And then, you know, they just have to bail out of there quick with the pass. And it, it's, um, that's, how, that's how we did it. You know, when I, when I was at BYU, we ran drop eight. We didn't run it very much, but we had it in our package, and that's how we ran it. Um, any team I played at in the in the NFL um, that was a three-four, that's how we ran drop eight, and um, yeah, it's effective. And I, I, I'm sure there's some reason why they don't do it. I don't know. I'm not in their meetings. I'm not privy to all of their game planning, but um, yeah, that would help. Got a question here from a, a listener on Facebook. Dustin says, Brian, given the changing landscape of players being compensated for their hard work in college football, which two current BYU players would be able to profit from their likenesses at which two Utah County businesses? Look at you playing matchmaker. It's like you're an agent now. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a tough question to actually, like, specifically pick out players and businesses. Um, but, I mean, you could pretty much go across the the country and, like, the quarterback is just going to be the prime candidate. It's it's no different in the NFL. Um, you know, most most guys in the NFL don't have endorsement deals. The vast majority of guys don't have endorsement deals, especially on defense. Very few defenders have endorsement deals. Um, it's usually you know the quarterbacks have endorsement deals, star receivers, star running backs. You know, big personalities. Um, obviously, there's exceptions, but I'm just talking about generalities. And, uh, you know, quarterbacks paved the way. And uh, so college would be no different. You know, the quarterback's going to be the guy. Um, he's going to be the, the, the marquee guy 
on most teams. You know, some teams it's going to be different. But, yeah, so, I mean, quarterback's going to lead the way. Um, you know, in, in terms of our team, you know, the best player on our team is probably Tonga. Um, but he plays a very unglamorous, non-sexy, you know, not not a high-profile position. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this, if this does all unfold. I mean, I'm sure it won't kick in for a while, but I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, in terms of businesses, I mean, there's a, there's all sorts of businesses, especially in Utah County. They'll probably line up to to to, to be behind somebody. You know, I think if I run a big and tall clothing store, I'm calling some defensive linemen and some offensive linemen real quick. <laughs> That's a good idea. That would be effective. <laughs> Maybe some food places too. You know, you got the uh, the all you can eat place. Bring them down. We feed the D line. Bring them on down. Yeah, shoot a video with him in in front of a platter. You know, exactly. And and the tagline: "Big food for big boys." We're (laughs) here till midnight. Marketing, my man. You're in the wrong business, man. You need to be a marketer. (laughs) <laughs> Yock's in there laughing right now. <laughs> if PK were here, he'd be blown up. You you have no idea. <laughs> I exhaust people. I stopped. <laughs> but there was a time when I exhausted people. I might still exhaust PK because he hears stuff during breaks, but I don't go knocking well, on You off. could get some, some exhaustive defensive and offensive linemen at the Shizzler all-you-can-eat buffet right there. Yep. All right, Brian, we appreciate a few minutes. Enjoy the bye, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yep. There's Brian Keel with BYU coming off a bye week. Utah State probably wishes they were coming off a bye week. Playing a money game in October when you've already been back east once and you've already started your conference season, that was not ideal. Getting beat 42-6 to at LSU. LSU's awesome. Just spectacular. All right, the Utes are on a bye week. Uh, getting ready now, gearing up to go play Oregon State next week. We'll talk with the red. We've heard from the blue. We'll hear from the red. Kyle Gunther coming up. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Kyle Gunther joins us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset, get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Are you already up attacking life, Kyle? Well, I am because I'm feeling fat, dumb, happy, and entitled this morning. So, uh, yeah, it's a school day. DJ, got to get it done. Got to make those lunches, man. (laughs) There you go. So what would you think if your coach had said that? Because it wasn't your coach. It was Washington State's coach who dropped the fat, dumb, and entitled. Uh, What would you think if you were a player on that team? I don't think that I'd ever forgive him for that. Now, Mike Leach is a unique coach. He's one in a million, and I, I would assume that that is just par for the course. And as, as a player, all you want is consistency from your coach. So if he flies off the handle one day, you're going to remember that. If he's a guy that preaches, you know, maybe he's preaching being, uh, you know, holier than thou and doing things the right way, and then all of a sudden – he gets busted acting a fool or you see a different side of him, that's what you don't respect as a player. Uh, Whittingham would never say that. You know, I'm not even sure Urban Meyer would say that. It's, 
Uh, Mike Leach has done this before. Remember, it, it was probably four or five years ago, Washington State's O-line gave up a bunch of sacks at Rice-Eccles, and Mike Leach called his team soft back then, too. Calling a football player soft or calling a team weak overall mentally, it's basically the biggest insult you can give. And on top of that, you're the head coach. You control the off-season program. You control the mood. So if the team is feeling soft, in your opinion, that's on you. The players don't get paid, at least not until a couple of years from now in the state of California. So as a player, I would feel disrespected. I would feel betrayed. But Washington State didn't play very well. It was a cold game, and and Mike Leach's assessment may be true. That does happen with teams that have been down for many years. And Washington State, they've had a bit of an uprun recently, but – all of a sudden, you get mentioned in a couple of articles. There's People are talking about you on the radio. You see your highlights on TV, and you think your armpits don't stink anymore. And you go in there and you get whooped by a really tough team in Utah. I would say in his defense that Washington State in their first two conference games was outscored 50-14 to in one game. I was outscored 24 to nothing in what should have been the bounce-back game to end that contest. So Mike may figure, what have I got to lose? These guys have had it handed to him. Film doesn't lie. He's going to see a bunch of stuff on film. So I guess to kind of swing it around to the perspective here, uh, is Mike right about his team so this win doesn't mean that much to the Utes? Or did the final 24 points of the game go into the Utes say something about the Utes fan, and Utah fans ought to be excited about it? Washington State's not going to win the North, but here's what it says, that the Utes can cover this air raid attack, that they can adjust and adapt. USC and Washington State have very similar game plans offensively, but I thought Utah's defensive backs played a much better brand of football, uh, albeit maybe not against top-flight wide receivers like they have at USC, but Utah really cleaned some issues up that they showed against USC offensively and defensively, but specifically defensively, Utah showed they can get pressure and they can still cover on the back end. So I think that was a feather in the cap for Utah's defense, but that was a cold, rainy, late game, and it's difficult for both teams to show up and play in that environment, but Utah's defensive backs, I thought, stepped up and made a couple of great plays. Jalen Johnson should have had a pick. Uh, You know, Francis Bernard flies around like a blind dog at a meat house, and I love when he, you know, is making tackles in the open field. He's a hard hitter. I think Devin Lloyd has really taken that next step as a linebacker. First couple of games, he struggled. He gave up the first touchdown, but he was in great coverage. It was, you know, the running back coming out of the backfield, just trying to run over the middle. Devin Lloyd was right there. He really should have given up a four-yard pass. Obviously, in the red zone, that led to a touchdown. But I thought Devin Lloyd was great in coverage, and he's very new to this process. So I thought if you're a Utah fan, you, you know maybe don't hang your hat on Washington State's you know overall quality. But I felt like Utah answered a lot of the questions that arose after the USC loss. Kyle Gunther joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 of the Zone, the former Ute. And – you got a bye week right now. As a player, did you like them or did you hate them? Did you miss the games or did you need a week to get healthy? No, I, I needed to get healthy. And uh, you know what I, I missed during the season is being able to watch college football. So I always remembered that every bye week, just sitting around on a Saturday and getting lost watching uh, LSU game or, or you know some other – we used to watch Mountain West teams back then when you could find them. 
Uh, nowadays, I'm sure guys are checking out other Pac-12 games and other matchups coming up. But uh, the bye week, I really feel bad for the fans. DJ, I had not been to a tailgate. I'd maybe been to one, like right after I got done playing 10 years ago. They took us up to the tailgate this week against Washington State because they were inducting the 04 Fiesta Bowl team into the Hall of Fame. And the Crimson Club did such a great job. They treated us well. We, we got you know a bunch of incredible opportunities. But that tailgate is nuts. We couldn't walk five feet without people offering us food and beer. And it was a full-blown party, and it was raining. And everybody told us that was a, a poorly attended tailgate because it was raining. And I had a little bit of trepidation because I had not sat in the sands and watched the game in the rain. But I got me one of those ponchos, and it was beautiful. You don't notice the rain. It's not that bad. You fans were tough. They showed up. That is an amazing experience. Seeing friends and family, hanging out for hours at the tailgate. We got there three or four hours early, and we were the last ones there. So I feel bad mostly for the Utah fans because how do you uh, adjust you have this insane party almost every week at Rice Eccles, and then now there's no game. You can't go party with your friends. I feel bad for the fans. <laughs> so, if you were the Utes, would you play Moss against Oregon State, or would you figure, give him an extra week off, also make sure he doesn't get dinged up anymore with an unfortunate hit or landing wrong or having someone land on him like we saw earlier this year, and just figure we're going to beat Oregon State without him. We need this guy for the bigger games later on. Oregon State's biggest strength by far is their ability to run the ball. They've done a good job of that this year. Uh, I checked this morning, and Utah's number three in the country in rush yards allowed. I'm not sure what their overall uh, rush defensive rating is, uh, but rush yards allowed. The Utes are third in the country. No one is running the ball on the Utes. Oregon State will not run the ball on the Utes. And I really like Devontae Henry Cole at running back. Devin Brumfield as well, I think, has shown a lot of power. So if I'm making that decision, if I'm Andy Ludwig or Kyle Whittingham, I'm sitting Zach Moss out for another week. The Utes will not lose to Oregon State. Now, Arizona State, Cal, they're some of the weirder teams to figure out the Pac-12. The Utes have four really weird games coming up, and, and it's always tough when you got to go to Corvallis. But to answer your question, I would sit Zach Moss another week. Now, here's what the Utes do need to do. They need to put Bam Oleseni in a tackle. The Juco player, he finally got eligible. He had an offer to Notre Dame, Ohio State, Auburn. The Utes need him at right tackle. They've been struggling at right tackle. They have a bye week now. They need to make that change, put him in against Oregon State, and see if that can help out along the offensive line. But Arizona State and Cal have really high-caliber athletes at really unique positions, and I like Arizona State's offensive line as well. So I do think the matchups coming up are more important. And so Utah just needs to run the ball and play keep away from Oregon State. Uh, Jake Lutton, the, the big, he's like 6'7", their quarterback. I don't see him picking apart Utah's secondary. So I don't think there's a huge impetus to get Zach Moss out there. Now, the Utes never discuss injuries, but I've had shoulder injuries before. You either sprain your AC joint, which I've done, and it's very painful, or you break your collarbone. Or, I mean, I guess you tear your rotator cuff. He didn't do that. If he didn't break his collarbone, then it's an AC joint. So that means he's going to be really sore. It's really painful. If you're a quarterback, you can't really throw. You lose strength in your arm. But Zach Moss gets the snot knocked out of him each and every week. So 
he's going to come back and he's going to play because he's trying to make money in the NFL. And so he'll do that eventually. But no, you do not need Zach Moss against Oregon State. I, you know, have you guys talked to Devontae Henry Cole? He is all business. He's yes, sir, no, sir. He loves football. He runs straight ahead. He runs with violence. Uh, if I'm a coach, I'm okay with Devontae Henry Cole. So you talk about Bam Olasini. I kind of figured he was going to sit because Kyle talked about they've got four games for him this year. And, and Kyle didn't hedge on this at all. I mean, he was very open about it right into a microphone for everybody to hear. They've got four games. They've got to figure out how best to deploy him. So I immediately thought Washington because it's the game of the year. ASU and Cal. Right. ASU and Cal because they may not be complete teams, but they got complete defenses. I like those defenses. Now, offensively, they got some problems. They got issues. So that's three games. Now there's one more. Colorado, save them for a potential Pac 12 title game. I figured there was no way Bam was playing against Oregon State. Well, you may be right. And I know Kyle Whittingham has been obsessed with trying to keep guys red shirts. I think it's ludicrous. I think that's what costs the youths. Jack Tuttle in the long run, trying to be this diplomatic team. Okay, we're going to save your red shirt. We're going to see we're only going to play you in the final four games. Guys get pissed. Guys transfer. And Bam's not going to transfer. It's been such a, a chaotic scene just to get him here. Maybe you're right, DJ. Maybe the Utes try and save him. Uh, I'm worried they don't beat Arizona State or Cal with their current offensive line situation. It's not been good enough at tackle. Uh, and, and maybe I'm making too much out of Bam. You know, maybe he's not this superhero who can come in, but they need better production at right tackle. I would put him in because I hate this idea of saving somebody for what? You're going to lose eight draft picks this offseason. Utah is not going to win the Pac-12 in 2020. They're going to win the Pac-12 this year if they commit and sell out. They need Tyler Huntley upright. He's getting hit too often and trying to spin out of plays. Man, that throw he made on fourth down against Washington State, he, he dumped it off to uh, a running back. and it, it is the least percentage play you can make. It's dangerous. Huntley's getting swung around. He's trying to create too much at times. They need better protection, and that's why I think they need to make the change at tackle. But you're right. Kyle Whittingham is always thinking about the future, and yes, that is the safe move. But why are you trying to redshirt guys? How much longer are you trying to coach? No, you need to sell out now to win, and I think they should put him in this week, uh, or I should say after the bye week. They should put him in against Oregon State, give him a tune-up game, and let him play. What, are you going to save him for next year? Go recruit another tackle. Or, you know, maybe Mawala will be good to go next year. He'll have a little more experience. But, uh, you know, I also remember when Kyle Whittingham said that Garrett Bowles was battling it out for a starting job when they recruited a guy who had an offer to Alabama. The first time we saw Garrett Bowles up front, he had a 22-inch neck. He has no body fat. And you realize, oh, Kyle Whittingham, is, uh, he's playing some games here. He's trying to keep guys motivated. So if Whittingham does hold Bam out, I would say I disagree with that. There are other Pac-12 games, only four of them, and uh, USC has a bye, and Arizona State has a bye. So it's not the juiciest weekend in the Pac-12 South, but... Arizona and Colorado are both 3-1. and one. They're both 1-0 and oh in the Pac-12, so the records are the same as Utah and Washington State. Now, we don't have expectations for these teams, but, you know, a few years ago, Colorado had finished sixth the prior year, and they were picked to finish sixth, and yet they won the division. Cinderella season. It all came together. Do you think it could come together for either Arizona or Colorado? Do you care who gets to 2-0 and oh in this game? Well, I, I think Arizona State and USC are the class of the South right now. 
I watched Arizona and UCLA last week in, in a really weird game. Uh, UCLA couldn't pass the ball. Arizona was running a lot of zone coverage. And then on the other end, UCLA's trying to play man coverage, and they're getting burned left and right. They refuse to adjust. I don't think either team is coached very well. I don't think either team is tough, Arizona or UCLA. Now, Colorado's got a tough coach, man. Colorado's got the, the makings, if you will, under Mel Tucker of, of being a team that can find LaVishka Chenault, although he's been banged up at times. Mel Tucker's the right guy for Colorado. I'm not sure Sumlin is the right guy at Arizona. I know Chip Kelly is the wrong guy at UCLA. They're a terrible football team at times. Uh, I, I think you've got wild inconsistency with UCLA and Arizona. What UCLA did against Washington State is inexplicable. They got some special team scores. Dorian Thompson-Robinson beat up on a secondary that, well, you saw Tyler Huntley last week have. I think that was the best game of Tyler Huntley's Utah career against Washington State. And Washington State was guessing wrong. Uh, the 50-some-odd-yard touchdown pass to Samson Nakua, I want to say that was the second score. Samson Nakua ran a post route, and Washington State safety decided to to adjust and, and work on, I want to say it was like Damari Simpkins or uh, maybe it was Solomon Enos, but they were just running an out route. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about when Utah ran that streak route against Idaho State, I believe it was to Brian Thompson, they showed the rest of football that we have this go route, we will press the seams, we will run vertically, and then the Utes weren't able to do it enough against USC, and Washington State apparently didn't believe them because Washington State is still adjusting to the out routes and the underneath routes, and Samson Nakua ran right past them. Tyler Huntley found gaps in the zone and hit Brian Thompson a couple of times, so I think Washington State is just they're struggling in the secondary there. So I don't want to make too much of what UCLA did there. I don't think UCLA and Arizona are contenders. I think Arizona State and Cal are the biggest enigmas in the Pac-12 overall, but the Utes are still the best team in the South. No, I don't see any team challenging them. LaVishka Chenault's going to be a top-10 draft pick. He's going to be a first-round pick for sure, but Colorado's going to go as he goes, and he's been banged up already this year. As always, we appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for joining us on a bye week, and we will talk to you again on Friday before the Oregon State game. DJ, have a good morning. See you. There's Kyle Gunther talking a little youth football. When we come back, the Jazz play their first preseason game. You'll hear from them next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. So I was wrong. I was talking about the Jazz preseason game on Friday, and I said they'd win by 30 or 40, and instead they won by 50. So there's that. But, hey, you rest Gobert. You rest a lot of the big names. Uh, Donovan Mitchell sat. Mike Conley sat. Joe Ingles did play. Dante Exum did not. So one of the two Australians played Adelaide. What did the Jazz learn with that? Well, let's get to the best of the postgame show.
It's your jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. First preseason game is in the books. The Jazz took out the Adelaide 36ers, predictably, of course, 133-81. to Jazz were led by Tony Bradley, who had 18 points to go along with 10 rebounds in a game where uh, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, Dante Exum did not play, but it did not matter for the Jazz who go, along, uh, go on to an easy, easy victory over the 36ers. Let's. Uh, we're going to get you all the sound from the post game, and we're going to get things started off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Well, I thought we were, you know, we played the way that you know we wanted to play at the beginning of the game. As far as you know, guys moving the ball, and attacking you know, collectively. You know, I thought you know we started to defend a little better as the game went on, and then really thought you know we had some breakdowns at certain points, but everybody had. You know, everybody was focused on guarding when they came in the game. And I was really happy with the fourth quarter, the way those guys played together and defended and, and um, you know, made all those minutes important. Jeff seems to really be able to get out in transition. Is that something you can manufacture, or does that just kind of have to come at the pace of the game? You know, I, I, if you get stops, when you have got different guys that can – you know, they can attack the rim. It's just it's important for everybody to recognize it's their turn to run and create space. So in, in that case, you know, with with guys getting down the floor, Jeff, you know, can see space and attack the rim. And, you know, he's he's capable, if he, if he can't get there, if people are back as well, he's capable of, of playmaking. And that's something that we've been talking about with him. And um, he's been working to find those situations. And, you know, today he was able to break through the line and get to the rim, and but he can, you know, if they do show a crowd, he, he's capable of, of creating too. Me, Aoni, got a chance kind of in that initial first half rotation. What have you seen from him in practices so far, and, and what do you hope he could maybe add to the team this season? Well, I think, you know, the, the Mie and William and Stanton, uh, Tony, or uh, I should say Juwan, you know, Jarrell, Tony as well tonight. Like All those guys, I think, have made the most of their opportunities um, in practice. Um, they've played a lot of defense in practice, and you know that, that's the way to get on the floor. And I think in Mie's case, you know, we put him on Randall some, and you know, he's capable of, you know, defending, I think, multiple positions. And, that takes some work to be able to guard, you know, quick guards. Um, but it's a point of emphasis for him, and um, just, you know, if if we can keep it simple in, in that in that sense and defend and, and space and you know, make the right read, um, which is, is what he did tonight, it's good. We had a lot of guys do that. You know, I thought William was really good too, doing the same thing. Coach, you spoke pre-game about the, the competition that you think you can get from these types of games against mm-hmm. teams from Australia. Despite the 50-point margin, do you feel like you got that? Yeah, I mean, you could tell from the beginning of the game. You know, I, I thought defensively we um, did a pretty good job of, of not allowing too many open looks. We had, you know, we were able to contest some shots, and um, a couple times in the first half we didn't, and they made them. So, um, anytime you have a team that plays hard. Um, the way they did, and you know, they were blitzing, trapping some pick and rolls. So there was a, there was a number of situations that um, we got to find ourselves in that I think will help us. Royce seemed uh, particularly aggressive on the offensive end, both in terms of 
comfort in taking shots in and looking for the open man. What did you see out of him tonight, and what have you seen from him uh, in camp? Yeah, I mean, I think he, you know, I want him to be aggressive. Um, I also want him to, to make the right reads, and that's what he did tonight. You know, it's, you know, he, he I don't know how many assists he had, but six and one turnover. So that, that means um, usually that he's driving, but he's finding people too when he can't get to the rim. So, um, you know, usually when you attack the rim with a lot of force, um, you know, you, you, you find yourself in situations where if you can't get all the way to the basket, you know, you're able to find other people. And I think that's something that he spent a lot of time in. And um, some of that's just, you know, when you're open, catch and shoot or pull it through and drive it. And, just make quick decisions, and uh, that's what we saw him do tonight. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder, predictably, uh, with his team uh, saying his team had some things to work on, but uh, played pretty well uh, in route to a win over the 36ers of Adelaide, 133 to 81. All right, let's let you hear from the players. Let's start out with Jeff Green. Your overall takeaway, Jeff, on your first preseason game with the Jazz? Uh, defensively, we can be something special. Um, we just got to continue to communicate, continue to get better, uh, not get content. And uh, offensively, uh, we're gonna we have scores on this team. Uh, we have numerous guys who can put numbers on the board, but defensive defensively, I think is where we're gonna be very very special. When you talk about th- this defense can be special, are there are moments in practice where you're going through certain things and seeing the principles and how it all works and why that can take place, and, yeah. and what gives you that kind of confidence? Uh, just the effort that um, every single guy on this team is putting forth. Uh, the communication that we've uh, been able to establish uh, these last uh, four days of uh, training camp and just the overall personnel that we have with guys who can call multiple positions. Is that part of the allure of coming to Salt Lake City is that Quinn's a defense-first kind of coach? Of course, of course. Uh, we know that, you know, we have guys who can score, but uh, we know that offense is what's going to take us far. Um, I mean, defense is what's going to take us far. And, you know, with his mindset and his schemes that he has and our personnel, uh, I think those games where, you know, maybe we're not shooting the ball well, we have those games on the defensive end, which is going to take us over the top. We've always thought of this locker room as a really close-knit group of guys, especially the last three, four years. You've been a lot of places. Does it does it feel warm and welcoming? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, we have authentic guys who, um, you know, want to do right by each other. Um, who wants to play hard for each other, mm-hmm. and you can sense that right away. Veterans in this locker room have always been encouraged to teach. Do you feel like you, you have free will to teach and help out some of the younger guys? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I've been in this game for a long time, and um, you know, I've been teammates with you know some of the greats, uh, like Kevin Garnett, who you know taught me the the importance of communication and talking. And uh, you know, my job is just continue to pass on the knowledge and. Uh, hopefully I can do that. Guys, that's Jeff Green. Let's go back to you. Jeff Green, who started for the Jazz in this one, but only played 18 minutes, but uh, played very well. Six of eight from the field. He had 16 points to go along with two boards, uh, one assist, and two steals. Let's take you back into the locker room. Here's uh, Joe Ingles. Your very takeaways on this uh, for this first game? Um, I mean, it's nice to play someone else, obviously. Um yeah, I mean it was it was good to be out there. Obviously, we didn't have everyone, but just to get a feel for some of the guys and some of the new guys, and um, yeah, good overall. I think we we came out with a defensive mindset, which was what we wanted to do, and um, yeah, kind of played well throughout the whole game, really. 
of the new guys who do you think stood out? Oh, you going to do that, huh? I mean, every guy was new, really. <laughs> all of them, they were all great. When you look at kind of that defensive attitude and the principles, I mean, guys may committed, maybe committed, but all those principles and the newness kind of take some time. What do you feel like is coming along the best for the group as an entire um, I think the connectivity of, of the group, um, having each other's backs, the communication was out there, um, understanding rules, offense, defense, what we're trying to do is obviously going to take a little bit more time. But I think overall the, the communication was there, which made it a lot easier to, to be in the right spot. And um, obviously the guys that have been here kind of need to help those those other guys out. So um, it was a it was a good all, all-round team effort and everyone, um, everyone played well, everyone got out there and... Um, yeah, move on to the next one. Did Jerome think he could cross you up? I don't know what he thought. He's been on vacation for too long. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on that squad? I mean, Perth came here last year, got smacked, went home and won the thing. I mean, what, what can that team take out of this experience? I'm sure they'll take a lot. I don't know what Joe's saying in there now. I know he was yelling a little bit, um, which made me laugh a little. But um, I mean, it'll be, I'm sure it's great for them. They, they can learn a bit about their team. Um, obviously, the the style of play is, is pretty different to what they're gonna, how they're gonna play. The rules are obviously different. Um, personnel is obviously very different. So, um, I mean, they're a good team. They play hard. They always have for Joey. Um, they'll always do some different stuff, which is, is what Joey does. And um, obviously, wish them all the best and hope they have a great year. Guys, that's Joe Ingles. Let's go back to you. All right, there you go. That is Joe Ingles, of course. The Joe Ingles Show is back here on DJ and PK. You'll be able to hear him every single week with the guys. Uh, Joe, uh, six assists to go along with 10 points. He was 4 of 9 from the field, only played uh, about 22 minutes, but uh, got to play against his hometown team in Adelaide and uh, was on TV throughout or uh, across Australia on Saturday night. All right, let's take you back into the locker room and let you hear from George Niang. You know, I think the one thing that the Jazz does before guys get here is let them know the culture that we've built or that they've built here and that they're not going to stand for any funny business. And, you know, obviously we're welcoming. We know the culture and want to show the guys the ropes. And I think the guys are falling in line and leaders are sticking out. And it's been a great um, OTAs and, and training camp. We only got a peek at this roster tonight. You know, a lot of guys didn't play. Some guys yeah. played limited minutes. But what's happening behind closed doors where you guys do your hardest work leads you to believe this could be something special? Um, you know, it's real competitive in practice. Okay. You know, a lot of guys are getting after it, you know, doing a good job. We have a ton of guys that can play, so probably have like three or four teams that, you know, rotate in there that, you know, can really go and, and play. And I'm just excited to continue to practice, continue to grow through preseason. Milwaukee's going to be a great test for us, so... I can't wait till Wednesday, right? Yeah. yeah I know so. you just mentioned that Quinn's happy anytime you do things well defensively. And you hear Jeff Green talk about, you know, first first glance at this team, what do you think it's capable of? And he said, I think we could be really special defensively. So he already gets that part of the culture. Yeah, no, I think guys understand, uh, you know, what we need to do to be a, a great team. And I think Quinn has ingrained that. And obviously a guy like Jeff, who's a veteran, you know, he's seen a lot of great teams. He's played in the finals, so he knows what it takes. So for him to say that, you know, it's something we need to hang our hat on and continue to grow. Okay, good to see you. Yeah. Defensive culture, uh, effort is part of that, but accountability seems to be the biggest element of it. Yeah. When you jumped in, I mean, you were jumping into a team that already was elite defensively. Right. Is there no talk about accountability? It's just you see it, you have to take it on? Yeah, I think you realize that, you know, I need to do things a certain style if I want to play, and that's play defense. And if you don't 
get into the ball, you know, follow defensive game plans. You're not going to play regardless of how many points you can score. So I think the biggest thing is locking in defensively and, and really paying attention to this, the uh, scouting report because, you know, we're trying to stop teams, and that's, you know, where it starts, and then our offense builds off our defense. Thanks, George. We'll see you. No problem. That was George Niang. He had seven points on three of 14 shooting. He struggled from three, particularly in the third quarter, one of nine from downtown, but did get four rebounds and three assists. And as Britton and I talked on the postgame show, uh, the Jazz are going to need George. And when he gets in there, he's going to have three or four shots at three, and he's probably got to make a few more than he did, certainly on Saturday night. All right, let's la- wrap things up with uh, locker room postgame sound with Royce O'Neal. And being maybe good things will come from it. I mean, just, you know, trying to be a leader, step up, you know, helping out on defense, you know, helping the new guys any way I can and still learning myself, you know, getting better every day. It's all these new faces. Um, you know, we, we you know we, we know the core group of these guys, but how, how are the new guys fitting in? Uh, I mean, they're fitting in well, you know. They're getting adjusted, you know, playing their game. You know, as we see, we like we gelling really fast, so we just got to keep it moving. This is a close locker room. In that respect, it can kind of be a tough locker room, too. Are you taking it easy on those guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, not yet. I mean, we, we broke them in already, but, you know, as they fit in right away. So Okay. As far as tonight's performance goes, maybe give it a grade and, and moving forward, you guys think you're ready for the next next level of competition? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we had a game plan. You know, as you see, we came out, played together, moved the ball well, got open shots. You know, we're just going to focus and be ready for the next one. It seems like you felt more at ease in terms of both putting up your own shots and as far as finding other guys out there. Do you feel like you've made progress in both those areas? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, that's what summer's for. That's what I worked on. Uh, taking the shots that are given to me, you know, but still creating for others, getting everybody else involved, and then playing defense as well. A lot of guys have, have pointed to you as a player who they've seen has gotten a lot better. Do you, do you feel like you have? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, every aspect of the game, both sides, you know, I just come in and compete every way I can, just play hard. What's coming along well defensively with new guys and just the collective unit trying to make sure you guys solidify yourselves there? I think, uh, you know, that's just talking, communicating, you know, helping each other out. You know, new guys, you know, learning the terminology, learning the rotation and stuff like that. So it's going to be a challenge, but I think they're picking it up well and, you know, it's going to benefit us in the long run. Royce, thank you. Guys, that's Royce O'Neal. Let's go back to you. That was Royce O'Neal. Had uh, played 23 minutes coming in off the bench, had 12 points and five of seven shooting, had six assists. Royce really was a playmaker on Saturday night, and it'll be interesting to see how his role evolves as we get to and through the regular season. The Jazz 1-0 on the preseason. They beat the Adelaide 36ers 133-81. Next up for the Jazz, they take on the Bucks as the preseason continues on on Wednesday night. Pre-game here on the zone will be at 5 o'clock. Tip-off will be at 6, and of course we'll have all the action for you all preseason, regular season, and postseason long right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, there's the best of the postgame show. Jazz will be back at it on the road Wednesday night in Milwaukee. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us.